This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning. The sous chef of the garden, Frank Proctor, here. And when I say here, I mean still on the farm, not in studio as we had hoped. Charlie Dobbin, still in Prince Edward County. Your thoughts, my dear? Morning, Frank. You know, I really miss seeing your smiling face and your wacky socks. But I'm just not quite ready to take on the closeness of the studio. I'm also waiting to hear more from the bigwigs regarding expectations around etiquette, protocols, sanitation, sterilization, all that important stuff. Sure. So, as it stands right now, we'll be in studio for the first time in months uh, coming up on Saturday, September 12th. And that means we still need and depend on your emails. So please send along your questions to Charlie at her address, c.dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com. Now, Charlie, Fr- I know Frank, you've moved. Yes. Frank, can I interrupt for one second? Yeah. Um, the reason why we came up with Saturday, September 12th as our, our goal to be back in studio is because school starts. And uh, as many of our listeners know, I am a teacher at Durham College, or a professor as they say, and uh, I will be back doing the teaching circuits starting that, that week after Labor Day. And I teach on Fridays in Whitby, and then traditionally I see my dad on Friday nights, spend the night in the city, and then we're there Saturday morning, bright and early, to do the, the recording live. So that, at this point, is the plan. That's a good explanation, and uh, I'm glad you shot that in there. Good stuff. <laughs> all right. You know, we all know that you've moved from Richmond Hill to a lovely two-acre spot in Prince Edward County, and you've been trying to get the grounds whipped into shape. I also know this hasn't been an easy time of late. So if you can, Charlie, and without putting yourself in line for a lawsuit, (laughs) tell folks what you've been going through lately with a certain contractor in mind. Oh, Frank, boy, as you know, this has not been a normal spring or summer, particularly in the landscaping business. So first, everything was shut down back last March and April. Then suddenly it was off to the horse races. Everything was wide open. And I I think many listeners will relate when I say it's been really tough to nail down contractors to do what they say they're going to do. Many maybe have taken on too much work since they hate to say no to any job or or maybe they've had delays that are not in their control but bottom line i have i've just fired the first excavator company that has been sort of stringing me along since june but update thankfully my newly hired crew is here today with three large pieces of equipment ready to knock down four foot tall weeds that have become such an eyesore on my property Okay, I know your story is going to ring a bell for many listeners this morning, and I hope things will definitely improve soon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, last week we touched briefly on things gardeners should be thinking about as we approach fall. Anything else you'd like to add to that list? 
Well, remember last week I mentioned planting spring bulbs. It's that time. But I neglected to mention my favorite source, which is online. And the uh, address is one word, flower bulbs are us. So flower bulbs, the letter R, U-S, R-Us.com. And if you go to that website, you'll see it's 10% off your order if you do place your order before August 31st. So get onto that right away. And then the other thing I was thinking about is, you know, we're getting to the end of summer. It's been a hot, dry summer. If your annual flowers are looking pretty scraggly and, and not so pretty, even your containers might be very tired, we're at that point. It's time to rip out some of the ugly stuff and freshen up with some fresh new asters, mums, uh, many of the, the late season blooms are, are really just coming on now. So uh, get you can pick these things up at your local garden center. Many, even grocery stores carry some of the bright new fall stuff. So, so freshen up the, the look, the front, the back, and, and make yourself feel better at the same time. Excellent points all, Charlie. Okay, hey, we've just been given the audio cue that it's time for our first break. So Charlie and I will return after these words from our sponsors right here on Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Time to uh, take a look at those emails that Charlie has been receiving and here's one from Patty and Steve from Woodstock. Uh, hi, Charlie and Frank. We're longtime listeners of your garden show. This year, we planted zinnias from seed. One of our plants is speckled with yellowish dots, both the flowers and the leaves. Other plants about six feet away look beautiful and are unaffected. They both get about six to seven hours of sunlight a day and the same amount of watering. And they provided some pictures for you to take a look at. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And she said, uh, thanks for helping solve this little mystery for us. So how's that solution coming along? Well, you know, frankly, Frank, I don't actually have a solution to this mystery. It is a mystery. The pictures are great. Uh, you show me clear indication between healthy zinnias and zinnias that look like they've been splashed with white paint. You know, real real clear spots where there, the, there's no... Oh, well, you know, they're, they're, it's completely white, whether it's leaves or petals. The material is, has no, you know, chloroplasts or any chromoplasts, any of that in it. So what happens to zinnias? Um, I did reach out to my friend, Sean James. He's, he's a very smart horticulturalist, and both of us are scratching our heads. He pointed out, and I knew this as well, there's a couple of fungal diseases that zinnias get. They do cause spots, but they don't look like that. Um, so Sean asks the question, is the new growth being affected? And where are these zinnias located in relation to the house and other things? It doesn't look like the feeding damage of insects, uh, though many insects like plant bugs have been very bad this year. Um, I, I thought chemical splash I, or, you know, somebody was painting and then they were rinsing their paintbrush out with, you know, um, turpentine and then you know how you fling the paintbrush and drops come off? It's like that. It's like it's like a, a toxic chemical has been splashed onto one of those zinnias. So I don't know what to say, Patty and Steve. Uh, um, any more information you can provide. But to me, that's that's what I look like. It's, it also looks a bit viral, but there are no viral diseases that I know of that uh, that zinnias get. So um, there's, there's my best shot. Well, I'll tell you, in the 13 years we've been doing this show, <laughs> <laughs> that is got to be well, maybe the first or well, second or third time in that, all that time that you've been stumped completely. Hmm. 
And I've so, had time. I've had time yeah. to figure this one out. This is really <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> the, the mystery continues. Okay. Yes. All righty. Uh, on to our next email in any case. See if we can do this one. Uh, from Teresa in Mississauga. Hi, Charlie and Frank. My husband and I listen to your program every Saturday morning with a cup of coffee. Hey, that's nice. And we have a five-year-old service berry tree. Picture attached. Every spring, the tree produces beautiful flowers. However, it doesn't bear any berries. Now, we'd like to move it on the opposite side of the yard, about 35 feet away from the large maple that's right beside it. It will also get all-day sun on the other side. Can we move it this fall, or do we need to wait until spring? Your expert advice is greatly appreciated. And then it says... That's from Teresa. But, yeah. but then Teresa says, love your program. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Thanks, Teresa. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, um... I look at this picture and that is a very large tree for a tree that was only planted five years ago. So it must have been a fair sized specimen when it went in. Because right now we can see in the photograph, the top of the fence, I assume, is at about six feet. And this tree is 15, 20 feet tall. Like this is a good sized service berry. So here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to prepare the hole where you're going to transplant it to in advance. So you're going to get the everything dug out. You're going to get some good soil amendments on hand. What I would do like today, if I was going to move a tree of this size that's been there for five years, I would root prune it now. That means using a sharp shovel and you know you can only lift a certain size of a root ball. You know you're going to leave some roots behind. So make sure the soil is moist, get out a sharp shovel and start severing some roots. You, you draw an imaginary circle around the, on the ground where you're going to lift that root ball out, keeping the soil and the roots as intact as possible as you're moving it. And for now, right now, what you would do is you're going to put some slices with your shovel just inside that imaginary circle. And you're just, you're not going to complete the circle. It's going to be like alternating every, every second shovel. You're going to shove your shovel down into the ground. You're going to sever some roots. Then about six weeks from now, when it's a little cooler and the weather's better for gardening, you're going to go in there and you're going to go back to the imaginary circle and then cut out the entire circle. You will have done that root pruning now, which will have stimulated some new root growth, which is going to help the plant get stable into the new location. Um, use, I would use a transplanter fertilizer when I'm transplanting or bone meal. Encourage that root growth. Uh, stake this tree because it's tall and narrow. If it's a windy spot, one season only. Obviously, water thoroughly when planting. And remember, water, water, water this fall. As we get to freeze up, transplanted, newly planted plants, all of our evergreens need to go into winter with lots of moisture around their roots. Uh, so that's what I, how I would do it. And, and good luck with that. And you should get berries if you're getting flowers. So cross your fingers that the insects will come and do the proper pollination. Thank you, Charlie. Uh, here's a note from Aldina Morera. Hi, Charlie and Frank. I heard you need emails, and I always have lots of questions. <laughs> it's it's kind of the opposite of when people called in, and Frank had to police, uh, police the amount of questions asked, and she says, I don't mind at all. My question is, can I use non-potting soil in big planters that stay out all winter? I'm thinking of putting some miniature roses in the big half-barrel container. thought it might have more nutrient value and organisms. Always look forward to your show, Aldina. Yes, Aldina, you're absolutely right. Um, pot, um, potting soil is sterile, so it, it has virtually no nutrients and it definitely has no life in it. So we like the idea of a living soil. 
Um, but keep in mind that uh, um, topsoil or soil from the ground tends to be a very heavy soil. So it does not drain sufficiently so that plants in containers are happy. Whereas potting soils or any of the bagged, you know, container soils are, um, they're designed for both water retention and good drainage. So what I would do with a size, about a half barrel size container is, yeah, for sure, if you've got some good quality topsoil, mix it one third uh, to two thirds uh, of the container mix. So good quality topsoil, one third, container mix, two thirds, make that mix and pop your roses into it and water thoroughly. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're approaching uh, when we take our next break here very shortly. Mm-hmm. So it's time enough for me just to remind folks that for a myriad of reasons, we're going to continue to record our show until we actually hit the airways from the studio Saturday, September 12th. And in the meantime, I'd like to uh, make a plea for more questions sent to Charlie via email. And here is the address one more time, okay? Charlie Dobbin at C. Dobbin, that's D O B B I N, at mzmedia.com. And Charlie and I will return in just moments here on Zuma Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, we have a note here from Anne Ottaway, who has sent you a picture, I do believe. Hi, Charlie and Frank. My calathea keeps browning on the leaf edges. Would you know what would be causing this? Thank you for the show. Okay, good question, Anne, and thank you for the picture. Uh, Calathea, very pretty tropical houseplant, and and yours is a very beautiful variegated variety. Um, But just so you know, those brown edges are very common on Calathea. Uh, Here's a couple of tips to try and avoid the brown edges. Number one, and this is true with all plants, never fertilize when the soil is dry. You can end up with a high salt content around the roots, which will burn the roots and show up in the edges of the leaves. So make sure the soil is moist before you do any fertilizing. Remember, overwatering and underwatering can cause brown edges. So be careful of either extremes there. And then remember tap water. It does tend to be a a little bit heavy on things like chlorine and bromides and that sort of thing. So avoid tap water if you can. Especially avoid soft water if you have a water softener at home because there's tons of salts in there. Um, If you've got a rain barrel, keep some rainwater and only water this plant plant with rainwater. Avoid cold, like super cold, fresh out of the the, the cold tap water. Um, If necessary, trim the brown edges with scissors, just follow the leaf margin and nobody will ever know that there was brown edges. Uh, And then remember as well, this plant, like many tropicals, does like a high humidity, particularly in the winter when our furnaces are blowing hot, dry air everywhere. So avoid those hot, hot drafts, those those, um, furnace outlets. Uh, if necessary, particularly in the winter, make a pebble tray. So that's a like a cookie sheet with gravel with the plant sitting on top of the gravel and water in the tray 
around the gravel, but the plant isn't actually sitting in the water, but you've got all that extra evaporation going on around the plant, and that too will help with lowering the incidence of brown edges. All right, Charlie. Uh, in my hands, I have a lovely letter from Kim and Kevin McCool, and it says, uh, my husband and I have become followers of your show over the season. We are by no means gardeners, but we are trying hard to maintain gardens we inherited from our home when we moved here. My father lived with us and has recently passed, and he was our resident landscaper and gardener. When we uh, first came to this country property, the gardens were very overgrown. Over the last few years, my dad has groomed them, and they are now much healthier. We're trying to maintain the gardens in his memory, as they were his passion. There are many gardens, but the main one is quite large, and it's the one we're having issues with. Now, here is our problem. We have crazy chipmunks. <laughs> They're destroying the bulb plants. All the plants and flowers in the garden are perennials. Mostly, they're attacking the lilies and the bleeding hearts. Any idea as to what we can do to prevent them from destroying the garden? It was, a, it was terrible last year, and I didn't think the lilies would come back at all. Many of them didn't, but the ones that did come back did flower this year. We're afraid to use any kind of poison, as we aren't sure it'll harm the plants. So we'd be most grateful for any suggestions. We've been at this property for six years, but it's only been in the last two years we've had this chipmunk issue. They are cute, but destructive. <laughs> and they go on to say, we also need to do some transplanting to organize things a little better. Can we transplant tulip bulbs, iris, or other bulbs now, or do we need to wait until the fall? Iris has foliage, so I'm thinking we should not touch it till the fall. Hope you can help. Kindest regards, Kim and Kevin McCool. All right. Long question, but well explained. I can visualize what's going on there. So I'll go backwards on this. The question about transplanting, uh, yeah, wait to move things like tulip bulbs if you can, though it's not absolutely imperative. They're completely dormant now, so if you know where they are, you can dig them up carefully and transplant them now. Irises, believe it or not, the time to transplant irises is in August. So again, you're going to dig them up. I'm assuming these are like the bearded type irises. You're going to dig them up. You're going to clean all the soil off. You're going to make sure the roots are firm because irises have a tendency to get a, an insect called a borer into the roots. So if there's any mushy, soft roots, you're not going to transplant those. Those can be composted or, or destroyed. But yeah, you can trim down the foliage when you're doing that iris movement and transplanting. And remember, they are planted very shallow. So you see those rhizomes right on the surface of the soil. <clears throat> now, when it comes to those cute but destructive chipmunks, I got a couple of suggestions. Um, traps. Number one, there are traps for chipmunks. And it's basically the same traps used. Like squirrels and chipmunks can be a real problem. So there's live traps where you trap them live and you transport them away. And then there's traps that are like the, you know, the mouse trap that kills them. So you can put out traps. Of course, that's not going to affect the plants. But be careful if you've got cats or anything you don't want to trap. Um, good ways to uh, get chipmunks into a trap is you, you uh, put in some nuts or some seeds. They love peanut butter and they're likely to go into a trap for that. Number two, repellents. Okay, there's different repellents. I've talked about something called plant skid in the past. So one word, plant, S-K-Y-D-D. -D. So two Ds, plant skid. 
available at Home Hardware and at Canadian Tire or online uh, is a, should work following the instructions or make your own repellent. There's a very common repellent you see a lot on the web, pureed garlic. You'd like, this sounds actually quite edible, pureed garlic and hot peppers steeped in one cup of hot soapy water until cool, then strain it add a tablespoon of oil, shake it all up, and then spray it on the plants. Uh, chipmunks should not chew anything that's, uh, that's got that on it uh, or dig up or, you know, create any havoc. Another, I like this suggestion, is put up an owl box. So you want to um, attract animals to your yard that are predators of chipmunks. So the chipmunks will be far more afraid to come out and wreak havoc in your garden. Owls are a wonderful uh, resident bird to have on the property or more than one because they will certainly slow down chipmunks big time and mice. Like they're, they're really good at voles and moles and, and keeping the, the ground clear. So consider that. And then you know what? Bottom line, I always go back to this one, is don't fight them. Just provide some food away from the garden where it's driving you nuts, that they're digging things up. Give them their own little feedings area, and they're likely to stay away from the garden. I, I, I always remember the story out of the White House back when the Obamas lived there. Um, millions and millions of bulbs would be planted every fall in the, the White House gardens for beauty in the spring. And the, the rule was we, we plant 10% more than we expect to actually see because 10% are going to be taken away by the squirrels. So just uh-huh. recognize that and, and know that. And, and so trick them into thinking they've got their own special little chipmunk feeding area. Because remember, chipmunks, they, they hide in the shrubbery and they hide in little rock walls. They, they've got wonderful little places that they hide. So just give them their own little garden somewhere else. Give them some rocks, give them some food, let them, let them hang out over there. Well, Shirley has been listening to all your thoughts on chipmunks because she, <laughs> she hates the little devils and uh, is going to employ some of those things you suggested. <laughs> I remember the story about the chipmunk on her chair. Oh, my God. God, yeah, oh, <laughs> unbelievable. Well, okay, let's get... Hey, wait, to, speaking yeah. of Shirley, uh, yeah. I hear that you and Shirley went beachcombing this past week, so where did you go? Okay, uh, well, it's what I like to call the Wasaga Beach episode. So, Shirley and I, on a whim, decided to uh, fight off a bit of cabin fever last Sunday by jumping in the car and driving up to Wasaga Beach. Initially, not a good move though I thought I'd give the GPS system in my phone the task of giving us the more direct route up there. That was a bad move. The damn thing <laughs> took us to in the middle of Newmarket. Then, uh, right on Davis Drive, said, now go north. So I thought, well, that's kind of a, uh, unusual and weird. But then again, maybe the system knows of some accident or other reason to get off the main route. So I stupidly obeyed this thing, drove through <laughs> subdivisions I hadn't realized had ever been built. And long story short, even longer, actually. We wasted 20 minutes before the great and wonderful GPS took us in a complete circle and dumped us back onto Davis Drive, not two blocks from where we left the same street. Okay, so we finally get to Wasaga Beach, beach number two, as a matter of fact, found a spot in the sand and spent about three hours soaking up the sun, having a great conversation with some nice folks from Tottenham, it turns out. Well, at least the GPS didn't drive you right into the lake. I mean, there, there's stories of that as well, right? So did you end up actually going swimming? Uh the question I was fearing. Uh, okay, <laughs> let, let me put it this way. 
At this particular spot in the lake, the water's pretty shallow. You know, you can walk out several hundred feet before the water gets chest deep. And the water was not exactly warm. In fact, it was downright chilly. And you know, Charlie, men are endowed with a cold warning device whereby once the water goes past a certain point on your thighs, it kicks in. It's called the balsometer. Coldness early warning system. <laughs> and right at the point when the alarm was screaming, don't go any further, it was right at that point that I stepped into a hole on the sandy bottom and it had to be a foot and a half deep. And so the long answer to your short question is yes, I went swimming. <laughs> Ass over tea kettle, I imagine. You got it. You got it. There were a whole bunch of people the there. Laughing at me. Oh. oh, I'm sure. You're always good for entertainment, Frank. <laughs> uh, uh, honest to be. Well, okay. Back to our, back to our emails here. Uh, this from Anna Witter. Hi, Frank and Charlie. My first time ever writing any garden problem. Oh, wait a minute. There we go. Oh, yeah, the yeah. Bell. I got my clicker. There we are. She says, I love to listen to your show and hopefully get a little bit more of a green thumb through your excellent advice. Now, here's my problem which I've had for the past two years. Two years ago when I first noticed this problem was uh, with dead areas. I raked, put in dirt, compost mixture, seeded, watered. New grass started coming up. Winter came in the spring. Not much new grass to speak of. Last year, same problem. I used nematodes last fall, raked, repeated my procedure, and this year my lawn still looks very sick. And she sent you some pictures, and boy, she's right, that looks sick. Well, it's very patchy. Um, so yeah, you yeah. looked at the pictures, obviously. <clears throat> you notice as well, it's, it, well, if you, they're pretty big pictures. Some of it looks great, and some of it looks very, very patchy. The, it's very hard to grow a good lawn up against a sidewalk or up against a driveway, because remember, the sun beats down onto that hard surface, makes the asphalt super hot warms up the soil beside it, and then bakes the, the grass that's growing in there. So I would say, you know, what you did, uh, and was good, Anna. It was good. You, you, all your methodology was fine. Now, when you talked about raking it, you've got some serious raking to do there. So rake all the dead stuff out. <clears throat> um, get some nematodes. Read the instructions. Make sure you don't apply nematodes to a soil that's dry. So you've got to do this right after a rain or get out your sprinkler, moisten the soil down deep enough, get this, the nematodes out, and again, water them in because the instructions are very clear. So get that happening, assuming that there are grubs. And I, because it's so patchy, it likely is grubs doing this damage. But first, you've got to get all that dead stuff out of the way so there can be proper penetration of water and of the nematodes. And then start your rejuvenation again. Get some fresh lawn top dressing. Get some proper seed. Um, get all that happening in early September. And then by the middle of middle of October, the grass seeds should have sprouted, things should be looking pretty good, and get yourself fall fertilizer. It's a super, it's like really the most important fertilizing that we do of our lawns the entire year is the one we do in the fall. So it's the fall fertilizing is anytime from late September right <clears throat> through to November. So, <clears throat> and again, follow the instructions on how much fertilizer to put down, but get that fall fertilizer down. That will help strengthen those brand new little grass seedlings and what's existing so that they'll come through the winter in good condition and be nice and green and fat and juicy in the spring. That's that's what you're aiming for anyway. All righty. Um, I'm just looking at the 
clock here and saying, hmm, yeah, just about time when I'm going to expect uh, a jog in the ribs, uh, audially speaking, <laughs> from Joel, that our first break, our next break, rather, is coming up. So as I uh, do that, let me remind you, we do need more emails for next week's show. Please send them along, please. Uh, email form to uh, Charlie Dobbin. That's c.dobbin at mzmedia.com. And Charlie and I will return in moments here on Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, we have a neat little note here from Sandra Burroughs in Oakville. It says, Dear Charlie, I cannot understand why my rhubarb is so spindly. I've split the roots up, water it regularly, and it's in a sunny position. I did fertilize early on with bone meal, and I regularly dig in tea leaves around the roots, but it's still pretty pathetic looking. Really enjoy your show and your input would be appreciated. Warm regards, Sandra. All right, thank you, Sandra. Uh, your 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 rhubarb looks pretty, like reasonably happy, but it is quite spindly. And the soil you've got it in, I think, looks very organic. I guess based on all those tea leaves going in, because the, the soil around the rhubarb looks like more traditional kind of Oakville soil. Um, so here's what I would do: don't use bone meal as a fertilizer. Um, when we talk about fertilizing, we usually talk about balanced fertilizers. Fertilizers that provide all the micro and macronutrients that plants need. Bone meal is ground up bones. And ground up bones is mostly calcium and phosphorus. So when we use bone meal as an amendment in the soil, we're adding a good chunk of phosphorus, which is a required nutrient to our plants, but we're neglecting all the other zincs and irons and nitrogens and potassiums when we add bone meal. So put your bone meal away, use it as a transplant to fertilizer when you're planting or transplanting. It's an excellent amendment to encourage root growth. But what your, I think what your rhubarb needs is, is a nice, good, balanced fertilizer. Uh, you know, could be as simple as a 20-20-20. If you want to be 100% organic, then get yourself some composted manure because you need nitrogen in that soil. You have bigger, <clears throat> greener leaves. And of course, that's what you want when you grow rhubarb. You want green. And so nitrogen encourages green. And uh, so any sort of high nitrogen blood meal, If or, um, I wouldn't use bone meal, just straight blood meal, straight composted manure. Those are very good organic amendments or go straight to your synthetics and get some nitrogen onto your rhubarb. Okay, uh, just a reminder, you're listening to The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio, AM 740 at 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Okay, uh, next one in from Sandra in Etobicoke, Charlie. Uh, good morning, Charlie and Frank. Many thanks for all the information and tips you give out. I've been listening for years and have learned a lot. My 20-plus year, uh, year old Rose of Sharon has a problem for the first time. It's about 8 feet tall and 6 feet wide and has been pruned to grow as a tree rather than a shrub. 
It started to flower with its usual double white blooms, and then about two to three weeks ago, the leaves on very few branches were limp, and the leaves curled over. No insects that I could see, and the trunks looked clean also. I took a piece to my local nursery, and she thought it had suffered in the last heavy rainstorm. It had been very hot, and then a sudden downpour. The leaves are now brown and crunchy. As I'm trying this, we're having a hail, as I'm typing this, rather, we're having a (laughs) hailstorm. Don't think that's going to help. I prefer not to have to cut these branches out, as it will really affect the shape of the tree. No more has appeared so far. Do you have any suggestions or ideas what might have caused this? Thank you, and keep well and safe. Mm, Thanks for that, Sandra, and thank you, Frank, for reading that so nicely. Um, All right, so Rose of Sharon is a very wonderful shrub. It's pretty trouble-free. You rarely have insects or diseases. It gives us that late summer burst of color in our gardens, which is always nice, right? You get a change up in August. The pictures, I can see that this is a... Uh, it's a reasonably 20-plus-year-old Rosa Sharon. Uh, she, she's telling the truth when Sandra says it's about 8 feet tall and 6 feet wide. You know in your heart of hearts that what a Rosa Sharon wants to be happy and healthy is full sun, so 6 hours daily of direct sun. It also wants a fertile, well-drained soil. So 20 years later, have we done any amending to the soil to ensure that the soil is not tired and, and you know, completely bereft of nutrient? Um, but when I'm looking at those pictures, I'm thinking that that tree, that shrub, it's like a miniature tree, it looks like it needs some, some shaping and some pruning. So I, what I want you to do is in the spring, because of course, Rose of Sharon is the last plant to, to bust out with its leaves, and we always think it's dead. Everything else is starting to grow, but the Rose of Sharon is doing nothing. So in that spring, in that time frame, you get out your nice sharp pruners on a nice dry day and start thinning out some of the interior growth. Anything that's rubbing together, any branches rubbing together, um, we call that the the dead, the diseased, uh, um, the damaged wood needs to come out. So get all that removed. Then stand back and look at the plant and say, all right, the width and the height of it needs to be brought in. It's it it looks. Uh, it just looks too big for its its stem, basically. So shrink the width and the height by up to a maximum of a third. So, of course, that eight feet tall would come down to more like six feet tall, and the six feet wide would come down to more like four feet wide next spring. Uh, in the meantime, anything that definitely looks dead, you're, you, I would be inclined to... Either you have two choices. You can leave it, ignore it, worry about it next spring, or you can just say, look, though, that the leaves are dead, and then look closely. If there's green under the bark, don't cut anything out. But if the actual stems are dead, I just cut the, that out just because it'll look better. But either way, you're going to remove the dead wood in the spring or the fall. Thank you, Charlie. Uh, note from, oh, well, let's go international here. Lisa Scanlon, listening in from Michigan, says, Hi, I have a crab apple that keeps battling what feels like an unusual quantity of suckers from the base of the tree all summer. Now, it looks like maybe it wasn't planted deep enough. Could this be why? And is there anything I can do at this point to slow these suckers down? There are also many exposed roots, and the tree has never been especially happy. I'm pruning off a fair amount of dead branches from the top every winter. It was planted by a landscape company about five years ago, so it's only about, and is only around six feet tall. I appreciate your help. Lisa. 
Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, what are suckers? Suckers are little growths, little stem growths that will sometimes grow off the root from below ground, but we also call the little uh, shoots that come off the stem of a tree, often right down at the bottom. We also call those suckers. And why do suckers happen? Well, suckers on any tree are an indication of stress. The plant, instead of transporting all its wonderful, healthy sugars, etc., up to the tips and growing from the tips, is under stress and is cranking out new growth closer down at ground level. And and so that's telling you, and, and you say that it has never been happy, and clearly if it's putting out that many suckers, it is under stress. So here's a couple things that crab apples, we do for crab apples to try and alleviate the stress. One is water slowly to a depth of 12 inches when it's hot summer weather. Now, you might be getting good rain where you are. I know it sounds like people in Toronto are getting good rain, but I live in some sweet spot here in Prince Edward County where I haven't seen rain in weeks. So make sure this plant is not suffering from lack of water and the way we water trees is slowly to a depth of 12 inches. So that's turning the hose on almost like just a drip and leaving the hose to drip for a couple hours. Remember, fertilize with a well-balanced fertilizer in the spring. Again, you're trying to support the plant, provide nutrients. At that time in the spring as well, you're going to trim any of the dead, the diseased, the damaged branches. Um, Suckers, when they grow, should be broken off, not trimmed away with pruners, but actually broken off, and you bend away the sucker from the stem or dig down below the earth's surface and break it off from the root or the stem below surface, and that way another sucker will not grow. So it's if you use pruners to remove suckers, you get twice as many suckers. Also, get out there with some top dressing. Get some compost. You don't want those roots exposed. Get about a half an inch of good quality compost onto those roots this September or now. Again, do that in the spring as well. Gets another half inch of compost. Slowly, you're going to build up that soil level to cover the roots. Uh, And roots on the surface tell us that we haven't been watering deep enough. The plant will grow its roots up at the surface if we only sprinkle at the surface. Water deep, you'll get deep roots. Um, And then next year, of course, after we get into later spring, get out that crushed bark mulch. Get about three, uh, two to four inches of bark mulch over the roots and over that compost you've put down. Uh, Keep the mulch three inches away from the stem or the trunk of the tree. You don't want mulch ever touching the plants and make sure there's no grass growing right up to the trunk. Don't make that tree have to uh, have to compete with the grass for for anything. Let it let it just be cared for and loved and I think you'll find it'll look a lot better. Oh, excellent, Charlie. All righty, we're up to our next break here, our final break uh, for our uh, our show. And uh, we'll return in just moments here on Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, I have a nice note here from Irene Schmidt. says, um, hi, Charlie. I really love your program and appreciate the wealth of knowledge, both yours and the listeners. I've grown tomatoes in my garden for many years, but this year I thought a container garden would be fun to try. I found several types of fairly old tomato seeds and decided to test them. And to my surprise, many of them sprouted, but with time, many of them withered in May. I planted my remaining seedlings in the largest pots I had available at the time. After a few weeks, I thought those containers may be too small, but it was too late to move them. 
Now that they're over four feet tall, I'm watering them almost daily, and they look very impressive. They even have fruit. The unfortunate part is that most of them have black ends, and many are drooping off. Sad, she says. Is this the flower end rot or something else? If a few of these make it to my plate, it will be a surprise and a celebration. Uh, some are looking normal. I did give them some fertilizer earlier in the growing season. I'm not sure if I should continue to feed them or just water as needed. So my question is, why are some of them doing better than others? And how do I avoid this next year? I do like the idea of plants on the deck. I have a lot of time to prepare for next year. Uh, but what is the size or type of planter? I should look for for best results next year. And perhaps tomatoes are just better off in the garden. Sincere thanks, Irene. Uh, well, no, actually, Irene, uh, many people are very successful with uh, tomatoes in pots. And many people don't have a garden to plant into, so they pots are their only option. And keep in mind as well that tomatoes are the number one vegetable that people grow. So I think it's great that you're experimenting and trying to, to you know, get some great little crop growing in your pots. Now, you, you commented that you realized your containers were too small, but it was too late to move them. That's not true. It's never too late to transplant and pot something that is pot-bound into a bigger container. The challenge for you is getting bigger containers. So if you can, you know, like a half-barrel-sized pot is basically what you want if you're trying to grow a full-size beefsteak type tomato. If you want to stay in smaller containers, then you've got to grow smaller tomato plants. Then there are tomatoes that have been bred specifically for container gardening. <clears throat> the two that come to mind, there's one called patio tomato. Uh, it grows a, a full-size tomato, but in a, on a small plant. Uh, and then there's the little tiny tims. So it's a very small plant with tiny little tomatoes on it. And again, excellent in, in container gardens. So if, you know, either way, go for smaller tomatoes, uh, in your current size pots or get bigger pots if you want full size tomatoes. But for now, remove any tomatoes that have that, that black blossom end rot. Compost those, they're not edible. So right away, get rid of those. Water, 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 particularly in small pots. Hot days, you're probably watering two to three times a day. So make sure that they're, they're never drying out for any long period of time because that's part of why you're seeing the blossom end rot. And tomatoes are heavy feeders. So uh, I, you could still go out there today and give them a crank a little fertilizer on them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Annual plants can be fertilized today. Any perennial plants, no, no trees, no shrubs, no fertilizer. But you want to just kind of give a little shot in the arm to those tomatoes. You could give them an, another fertilizing today. And remember, next year, if you're growing in containers, do plan to fertilize at least every four to six weeks uh, to get the best crop. All righty. Uh, David Mapledorm actually starts out with a question. Uh, Hello, Charlie. How's that lovely piece of property you're developing for your new home coming along? Well, if you're listening off the top of the show, you know that Charlie's encountered a few problems with a contractor. Anyway, got that solved. Uh, he goes on to say, I have this Virginia creeper, I believe, around my deck and walls, and this past few years, it has developed these rust-spotted holes. I have checked with the local garden center, and they were at a loss to identify the issue. Any ideas? Regards, David. Okay, David, so you're referring to this plant as Virginia creeper. Uh, it's not actually. It's normally referred to as a, its common name is Boston ivy. So Virginia creeper is the one with the five leaves. 
uh, looks like a hand. So they're the same genus, but um, but anyway, you've got Boston Ivy, and you know what you need to do for that 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 vine is it, it, avoid stress. <laughs> kind of like the the crab apple I was just talking about. The more you can tender loving care that vine by adding some compost and some mulch around the base, the more you'll alleviate the stress and the less likely you are to see what you're seeing. And what you're seeing is a fungus. It's called Boston Ivy leaf spot. Uh, it starts as irregular rusty spots on the leaves. Then the leaves uh, may turn completely brown, curl and fall off. The fungus overwinters in the soil and reinfects the new growth every spring when the foliage is wet. Very difficult to control this fungus once you've got it. So that's why I'm saying keep the plant stress-free and you'll have far fewer um, evidence and issues of the problem. It's going to be, the the spores will be there, but the spores will not infect the plant unless the plant is uh, sort of susceptible to being infected. In the spring, you can get a hold of something called Bordeaux. Bordeaux is a copper sulfate uh, fungicide and follow the instructions, of course, and spray as necessary. Spray before a rain, spray after a rain. You'll never eliminate the fungus entirely, but you will be able to control the spread. So good garden hygiene in the fall, clean up, clean up, allow no leaves to stay behind this winter on the property. Make sure they're right off the property because again, the fungus is on the leaves and uh, get rid of the leaves and know that the fungus is also in the soil. So remove leaves and do everything you can to keep the, the leaves fungal free next spring, working around the weather and making uh, life as sort of happy as possible for the vine. All righty. Thank you, Charlie. Uh, Note from Anna Bunkowski, who says, Hi, our roses are being infected by a flat black, uh, pardon me, flat back, (laughs) shiny brown yellow bug that destroys the leaves and burrows into the center of the flower. (laughs) Any suggestions on how to get rid of them? Thank you, Anna. (laughs) All right. I bet you even know what this is, Frank. We've talked about it so many times. It sounds like Japanese beetles, and they are just a scourge in the in the in the in the landscape. So yes, Japanese beetles, slow moving. So what do we do? We get our little bucket with some water and a bit of soap in it or a drop of oil and you pick off those shiny flat backed bugs and you drop them in. You can wear gloves if you want, drop them into the bucket and they will drown. That's all you can do. Do not use Japanese beetle traps. Big mistake, you'll have more Japanese beetles than everybody else on your block because they'll all come to your house. So do not attract them to your property. Do everything you can to just pick and go out and pick a couple of times a day if you have to. They're they're easy to pick off. All right, good luck with that. (laughs) Okay, and in the few seconds remaining in the show, let me remind folks that Charlie and I will be in studio not until Saturday, September the 12th. But in the meantime, we do still need those emails to be sent to Charlie. Any questions, please send them along to Charlie Dobbin at c.dobbin at mzmedia.com. And that just about buys the old show, my friend. So thanks so much, Frank. Couldn't do any of this without your great oratorical skills. And thanks for the good questions. And happy holidays, Joel. Thanks again for helping us out with this. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.